So um, we are up to week two in my sermon series called, what's the series called? Losing My Religion. And no, we're not going to sing the song, Stuart. I you'd love to, maybe one day we will. You're not going to sing it. We're, we're trying to explore why. What, what are some of the reasons why numbers of people have said they're done with the with religion. You may know friends, maybe family, brothers, sisters, kids, mums, dads, aunties, uncles, neighbours that have once embraced religion or faith or Christianity or church, but all of a sudden, or maybe not all of a sudden, but now they're sort of disconnecting or distancing themselves from religion. In the last five years, our Australian Bureau of Statistics in our census, we saw that 1.2 million people, everyone say 1.2 million, in five years, 1.2 million people chose intentionally to, to not tick a box, to tick a box. So five years ago, they ticked a box that says, I have some form of religion. And now they're ticking a box that says, I have no religion. 1.2 million people have lost their religion. And uh, last week, I introduced a, a book that helped me to, to frame or to consider what our approach to God is, and perhaps as we consider this approach, how we view God, perhaps we'll get a better understanding of what's going on in this situation. I suggested that we have, uh, we've all grown up, well I hope we've all grown up, depending on your background, you might have grown up in this church, I grew up in a small little Baptist church in the Blue Mountains, you maybe grew up in some other church, some other place, or maybe no church at all. And, but we've grown up with some understanding perhaps of God. Or a view of Christianity, and, and it could be that we let's throw this uh, slide up, thanks, Steve. It could be that we were sold uh, or told that Christianity looks something beautiful and stunning and, and 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 glorious, and we and we sign up to Christianity as a kid or as a teenager through uni or through work or someone invited us, and you say Christianity is something that is so uh, amazing, but our experience of Christianity doesn't always look like that. It looks like that. And so all of a sudden we're saying, hang on a sec, I thought Christianity was going to look like this. I thought the God thing was going to look like this. But what we've discovered in our life as circumstances and, and situations and stuff happens, when things look like that, we go, where is the promise? The reality is the three sisters are still there. The amazing view and the incredible creative beauty is still there, but sometimes it gets masked by all the stuff of life. And when that happens, when life doesn't work out the way we expect, we, sometimes we think we've been sold a dud. That Christianity is not what I expected it to be. Maybe God is not who I expected Him to be. And it's easy to get discouraged, disappointed, disillusioned, and perhaps even walk away. It's po is it possible that this could be one reason that people have chosen to take no religion? <clears throat> Because my image of God, what I expected, is nothing like what I've received. The, the, the product doesn't match the package. The book that I referred to last week is a book by Sky Jathani. It's called With. Uh, Kurong doesn't have any stocks of it at the moment, just so you're wondering. Um, we might try to get a couple just so we've got some available for you. It's uh, called With. And in this book, he identifies four postures or four different ways that we can relate to God. Uh, each of them in some ways missing, like the three sisters, it's still there, but it's masking the reality or the beauty of all that God is. And so the four postures are up on the screen. There are a life under God, a life over God, 
a life from God and a life for God. And in these messages that I'll be sharing, there'll be a total of five messages in this space. I've done one, one today, and the rest will come up with the break for Father's Day. But we're going to see how these postures have shaped us, have shaped us from ch as children or adults in our early life. It's shaped what we believe and understand about God and how we approach Him. And we've got to remember that our goal out of all of this is the center. This is our goal, what it is to live a life with God, because it's very different than all the other four. So last week we looked at the, the life under God posture. We saw how it's uh, in, an, in, a, in an attempt to appease the gods, or try to convince the gods to bless their crops, or their business, or their families, or their health. The ancients had a sacrificial system or rites and rituals and rules that they obeyed. If they could just do what their gods wanted, if they could just keep their gods happy, if they could offer enough sacrifices or do enough stuff, then all their gods would surely bless their crops or their families or their business or their health. And if they disappointed their god, if they didn't do enough or pray enough or give enough or serve enough, well then their god would be angry with them and would punish with them. And the thing is, it's not just the ancients that had that posture. It's not just the people back in the Old Testament that we think lived this type of life, but even us today. We can also adopt this posture toward God. You know, as Christians, if we can just try a bit more, pray a bit more, give a bit more, read some more, serve some more, oh, God, will be, God will be pleased with me, and I'll live a good life. And I, have, and I look at others in, in my Christian world and, and they're being blessed. Well, they, they must have pleased God. They must be doing more to, to please God. And so, so we have this false understanding. This is what we need to do. We follow God's rules and things will go, go well for us. But you know what? If we don't perform, if we do something or think something or make a mistake or stuff up or mess up and, you know, and we all do that, well, maybe that's why I didn't get that promotion. Maybe that's why that relationship didn't work out. Maybe that's why I didn't get that job I was hoping for. I didn't get the, the, the blessing or that house I was bidding for. We've got this understanding that maybe if we, for some reason, if we do the wrong thing, perhaps God's going to, well, we're not necessarily punish us, but withhold from us. We think he's going to withhold good from us because we haven't done enough to please him. Other people might have, but not us. And so we, we have this view of God that I think is unhealthy for us. And so it's not surprising that, that people can think, if God is a God, if we do all the stuff and it doesn't work out, it's not surprising that people say, you know what, I'm not too sure about this God thing is for me. Maybe they think it's a waste of time. And so it's not surprising then that people do choose to walk away. It's not surprising in the family and friends that I have that have walked away from God. They may not have lost their religion. They've still got some sort of understanding or belief in God. But it's not surprising that they walk away. Something I'm not going to talk about. It doesn't help when people that they know that claim to be Christians. That also live lives that are so inconsistent with, what the, God, with the life that God calls us to live. And so I can understand when people have done the right stuff, they've prayed the right prayers, they, 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 they've, they've given the, the money, they, they've served on roster. It's not surprising that when, when their family gets sick or, or they get retrenched or their marriage breaks down or their relationships don't work out, 
it's, it, I'm, I'm not surprised that people tend to blame themselves or they blame God. And they say, you know what, this is just too hard. And so they lose or they walk away from God. You know, for the Jews in Jesus' day, this was a really heavy burden because they had, they had over 2,700 rules. I mean, kids, you're at home and you might have some rules that mum and dad are sort of saying, hey, this will be good. It's not 2,700, is it? No. Who's the closest? But the Jews, they had, to, they had these over 2,700 rules that they, oh, I hope I get it right. And they tried so hard to do all of these and just hoping that God somehow noticed, hoped that God sort of was pleased with them and hoped that God someone blessed them. But if they messed up, if they stuffed up, oh man, now I'm in trouble. And so that was a heavy load for the Jews to carry. And that's a heavy load for us to carry today. And so Jesus came into this world full of 2,700 plus rules and offered a radical solution. Instead of living a life that's under God, under the weight of what God's uh, asking them, or what the gods are asking him to do, Jesus came to offer us a life with him. He said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. How attractive is that invitation? <coughs> what a beautiful invitation. And what I've found in my life is, um, although it's attractive and, and invitational and welcoming, sometimes it's hard to make the decision to step toward Jesus. But the goal, if you can see that passage, Jesus says, don't live life without me. Don't live life trying to do stuff without me. Come to me, be with me, experience me. So we're going to move to the next posture. We've just talked about the life under God posture and we're under the weight of trying to please and appease God. I want to talk about the life over God posture. It's another one that that I found in my life, it's so easy to drift toward. And this particular posture, we can trace to before the Garden of Eden. Okay, so we're going to uh, go back in time, but we're going to go back a long way in time. Isaiah gives us a glimpse of what was happening in the heavenlies uh, that, that introduced this concept of life without God. So this is regarding uh, Satan, and he said to himself, he said, I will ascend to heaven, and set my, well, Isaiah's actually talking about Nebuchadnezzar, uh, but he's actually, the inference of this is, is looking at the work of the enemy in, in creation or in the formation of this world. So it's um, saying, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. I will be above the most high. I will, I will, I will take a greater position than God. And so the enemy takes that, that heart and he comes into the garden, catches up with Adam and Eve and says to Eve, yet yeah, God knows that as soon as, this is regarding eating the, the fruit, uh, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. For a situation where, where mankind was created to be in relationship with God, serving God and working in relationship in God's world, the enemy is saying, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to live by God's rules. You can do your own thing. You can be like God. You, you, can, you can be above God. 
And he's been trying to convince mankind ever since that we don't need him. And we certainly don't need to live by God's rules. The enemy's saying, you know what, you can live without religion. You can, you can live a life without God. That's what the enemy's trying to say to us. Um, a song that didn't come up, but is written by a Beatle uh, back in 1971 was... Who's going to guess? Anyone? Sorry? Excuse me, I'm looking at you. 1971, John Lennon... John Lennon... Imagine. Okay. John, John Lennon, back in 1971, he would pose a question. He would pose a question. Imagine there's no heaven above us or no hell below. John Lennon was posing a question. Hey, can you imagine a life without religion? Can you imagine a life without rules? Can you imagine a life not under God, but can you possibly imagine a life above God? And for all its poetic beauty and its lyrical mastery, that makes sense. His song doesn't make a difference because our world is not a better place. If you try to imagine a life without religion, our world hasn't become a better place in any way or form. Because, because the world has got nothing to do with religion. The issue has got nothing to do with religion. It's got everything to do with the human heart. And so, so this posture of a human heart that says, I don't need God, I can be beyond religion, I can be above God, that posture affects everything that happens in our lives. And that posture of not needing God or not believing in God, that's typically associated with what we call atheism. Uh, people who say, I do not believe in God. And uh, interestingly, from our census last year, get this one up, that we had 11 million people that would say, they're Christian. Nine million people that would say, I have no religion. But only 38,000, only 38,000, a ticked a box and says, said, I do not believe in God. I thought it was quite fascinating. So um, if you can imagine the McDonald's Jones Stadium filled, that's how many, who knows how many people are there? 35,000. Imagine that in all of our nation, as a stadium full of people, that amount of people would say, I do not believe in God. And so my understanding of that is that a large portion of our nation, whilst they may have no religion, whilst they may have a bunch of other religions, because those percentages don't add up, but only a very small handful, 0.15% would say, I don't believe in God, that I'm, I've, I've got no interest in God in any form. I found that interesting. Anyone else find that interesting? I think it's really encouraging. So, interesting and encouraging. And so, the, the majority of our nation, the bulk of our nation, has some belief in some form of some God or some higher power or something that's beyond what we have in this world. But what's interesting, which we're going to talk about now, is, okay, I can believe in a God, and I know people who believe in God, but how do they relate to this concept of a God? Or relate to this concept of a life above God if we're not, if we're not going to tick atheism? And so, let's go back to, 9, to 1666. You ready? What happened in 1666? Any guesses? Isaac Newton. What happened to Isaac Newton? He was sitting in his orchard. 
having a cup of tea and he watched an apple fall off, and this is what the legend would say, watched an apple fall off the tree and he sat there and he looked at the apple and he wondered why does the apple go straight down? Why, why, why doesn't it go to the left or to the right? And it had him considering this and pondering this and it led ultimately to Isaac Newton formulating the law of gravity. And what it was, it was one of the, the stepping stones for our world moving into what historians would call the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment being a, re the Enlightenment being a revolution in scientific thought, mathematics, astronomy and physics. So it was around about this time this whole world started to shift, uh, started thinking about these very scientific concepts. The scientific rules that, that perhaps run this universe. So, so before this time, humanity viewed God uh, as... Next one. Humanity viewed God as the centre of the universe. They would say if you took an apple and sli the universe sliced it down the middle, that humanity would place God at the centre. This is before the Enlightenment. They would say for all the mysteries of mankind that there's a divine will and a divine power that is a control of the world. So what, what happened there? And so you can understand if this is what they believed before the Enlightenment, if they believed that God at the centre uh, would control their life and their, their world, it made sense to them that to try to please that God. It made sense to them to try to do all they could to appease that God, to, to obey that God, to follow that God's rules so they could control their life and the outcomes of their worlds. But after the Enlightenment, something changed. Mankind moved God out of the centre and put science into the centre of the universe. And they're saying, look, we don't need to appease God anymore. We, sure, they still, back then, they still had a place for God in some of the great mysteries. But certainly in 16, in the, in the Enlightenment period, they removed God from the centre of the humanity's understanding of the universe. And they placed science and mathematics and natural laws and rational logic right at the centre. They said, we don't need to appease God anymore. The universe, if, we, if we can view the universe like a machine, a universe that has, has laws at, at place, if we can understand the laws, if we can understand the scientific laws, I mean, today is trying to understand the quantum laws or, or try to understand what's going on in space and astronomy. If we, can, if we can understand the principles behind the universe, surely if we can understand that, we don't need to appease God to, to shape our lives. We can simply, like a machine, figure out how the machine works. And then once we learn the natural laws and try to figure out how gravity and, 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 and um, mathematics and science and physics and thermodynamics and all that, if we can get that worked out, then we can then control our world by following the natural laws, placing ourselves in that machine and following the natural laws at work and control our world. And you can see this tension in our world today between a, the, the science um, world and the God-based world. Uh, particularly on some of the topics, there's a wrestle between God being at cent in the centre and science at the centre. Issues such as abortion. When is life considered life? A God-centred understanding has a very different understanding from a science-centred world. Now, I'm not at all against science. I think science is a beautiful gift of God to, for us to try to understand His creation and what He's done and placed in the world. 
But issues such as abortion or gender identity or same-sex marriage, all the things that have been tensions in our world today or euthanasia, these type of things help us understand there's a tension created because we've moved from a God-centered world to a rational, scientific-centered world. There's a big shift that's taken place. It hasn't happened overnight. It's happened over hundreds of years. So I'm not trying to be political or controversial or insensitive on these matters. I'm just I'm highlighting how, what happens when you remove God from the centre and you place science, you place other things at the centre of our world. And we shouldn't be surprised there. The impact of a life without God or a life above God. And so if we go back to our, our, the, the, the census we were talking about, many people believe in God of some form of some kind, some sort of higher power. Many people believe that there's a God who created everything that there is. That God designed it, He created it, and He created all the immutable laws of physics and science and all that. They believe that God or someone did all that or something did all that. Or, much like a watch, they designed, they believe that there was, there was a designer, there was a, someone created the cogs and the, the springs and the parts of the universe that hold it together and make it work from all the laws and physics and all that. They, 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 they view God like a watchmaker. They, they view that God as the one who designed this whole thing and makes it work so wonderfully and place the earth so many kilometers away from the sun at a particular angle and, and you know... They believe, they believe that that's not always by chance. There's some understanding that could be done by something else. But as a watchmaker, he just made the world up and he, he wound up the spring and they believe that God steps back to let the world and its people do its own thing. So in the same way that there's natural laws that govern the world, from, from science and physics and all that, the people who are maybe not so religious, they also believe, and I've got people, I've got friends and family like this, they believe that there's also some moral laws in place. Yes, there's gravity, yes, there's all this stuff of natural laws, but there's also moral laws, good and evil, right and wrong. They believe that mankind has these moral laws available. And if you want your life to go, well, yes, respect gravity. I think we need to respect gravity. Tell the person next to you, respect gravity. I think it's important. We don't want to disrespect gravity at the edge of a cliff. or It's holding us onto this planet. <coughs> we've got to respect it. But in the same way we're respecting the natural laws, we've got to respect the moral laws. We've got to do good. We've got to be kind. We've got to love other people. And uh, our world is full of beautiful and generous people who want to make the world a better place. Do you know that? The world is full of them. And, and you know many of them. Maybe your family, maybe your friends, maybe your work colleagues, maybe your friends at school. You know, the world is full of good people doing good things, wanting to see good happen in the world. But a lot of them living a life above God, living a life without a watchmaker. And so we've got this world that we've got, who knows some good people? I'm shaking them. I'm, I know you know a bunch of them. And you know what? And you scratch your head and you wonder, why don't you, why, why don't you believe what I believe in? And why, why, why can't you understand? Why? I know you ask this because I ask the same questions. Why? You, you, you don't believe what I believe, but you're a good person. You'd almost be a Christian except that without Christ. 
You'd just be Ian, you know? Um, that's a bad joke. So, um, I'll say it again. A Christian without Christ is Ian. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Takes a while. Uh, I'll stop, I'll stop just there, eh? Yep. No. Paul, you like the joke? Great joke. I'm not going to apologise. Okay. I wasn't referring to you, Ian, at home. Okay, just letting you know. Okay. We've got lots of good people in this world who, who understand the moral laws and love and are generous and give and serve and go on mission trips and repair eyes and bodies and, and help all around the world and doing good and helping in the streets and feeding the homeless. A lot and a lot of good people. But living a life over God. And so we have, these, we have these natural laws, we have these moral laws, but then we sort of added to those laws, we've added some extra laws, things that govern our lives. We've, uh, we've expanded those laws into, into parenting or leadership or um, business or relationships. And we know if we, if we do this, then my business will go well. If I, if I do this in a relationship, this is going to work well. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves in a world that has got more than just the, the natural and the, and the moral laws. We've got a whole bunch of other laws and principles that we live by. If we, just, you know, if we just do the right thing, things will go well with us. And so we live in a world that's created all of these things. That if we can just discover these principles, if we can just find out how to do this and, and implement this and, and become effective and put these practices in place then things will go well in our families and our businesses and our lives. And so even people could possibly conceive that maybe God might have given us some of those principles. Maybe they even come from the Bible. And we look at the world, and these are great ways to live. I think it's good principles to, to obey your parents or to, or, to, or to be generous towards someone else or to help someone in need. These are really good principles to live by. But ultimately, they, they can view God as the, the maker and the designer of the watch. But also, when we live by principles, we don't need the watchmaker. If we live by understanding everything works together for us to, to do the right thing and, and be good and follow the right principles, live a good life, if we can do all that, we can just have a good life and things will work out. And we've got no need for a relationship with the watchmaker. And so, as we go through this message, we've talked about the small handful of people that would say, I don't believe in God. The atheists, the 0.15% of our country, 38,000 people, that would say, I do not believe in God. We've also just briefly talked about, and if you want more to dig a bit deeper into this, this book is good, but it's in stock. Um, you, you, if you want to learn more about what it's like to live a life with, uh, above God or over God, living life by principles, um, we've talked about the atheists, we've talked about those who view God as a watchmaker, where we can live our lives by some really good principles and be good and kind to everyone. Uh, the, the God of Oprah, the God of, of the big TV people, let's just be good and love one another. And so that's a great idea. So now I want to go a little bit deeper, and i uh, written down here, this might make you uncomfortable. Just want to point that out now so I don't get in trouble later. Uh, I, I want to shine a light now. Not on the people who tick the atheist box. Not on the people who tick the no religion box. I want to shine the light now on those of us who tick the Christianity box. Because it's very easy for us to also find ourselves drifting into a posture that is a life over God instead of a life with God. So, 
A couple of questions. What is your view of the Bible? I, I grew up, and there's a, there's a couple of great little things we sort of told. Who can tell me what B-I-B-L-E could stand for? Basing instructions before leaving Earth. Who's heard that? The Bible, basic instructions for leaving Earth. That's a, that's a, no, it wasn't the Baptist. Any ex-Baptist, any Baptist here would say, it's not a Baptist thing. You've never heard that before. I think what a great little anecdote, what a great little acronym for the Bible. Uh, maybe you've called it the Maker's Manual. This is God, and this is stuff that I grew up talking about, trying to get my head around what the Bible. It is the Maker's Manual. It is the Manufacturer's Manual. Uh, it is the Watchmaker's Manual for how to build my life. It's God's framework for life. You know, and, and I'm now. Don't get me wrong. Those things aren't incorrect. But I'm not too sure they are the best description for God's Word. Because I believe that the Bible is more than just a set of instructions. It's, it's more than just a set of rules. You must do this, you should do this, you don't do this. But the Bible is also more than just a set of moral codes. The Bible is more than just set as a, a set of principles that we should live. It's more than that. You know, a, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. Who's heard that one? The Bible is more than just the principles that we can live our life by. It's more than just doing what the good book says. Now, I'm, I'm just mindful here because, because we must be careful that when we, when we reduce the Bible to simply just the source of divine wisdom. All, all I need is, is, is the wisdom that's contained in here and my life would go well. Because it's possible to replace a relationship with God with a relationship with the Bible. Now, now, don't get me wrong because I love the Bible. I think the Bible is the ultimate source of faith and authority for our lives. I believe that it is and it contains all that we need to, to live a life that honours God. But we forget. It's, 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 it's like a workshop manual for your car. We, forget, we go to the Bible trying to find out how to fix things. And we forget that there's a mechanic who's available to help us. And so, I said, I've got a high view of the Bible. And I, and I believe through the Bible we get, the greatest thing we get from the Bible is more than the moral codes, more than the Ten Commandments, more than the principles to live our life in. The best thing we get from this is a revelation of God's love for me and for you. The Bible, yes, the Bible is deeply, it's historic, it's prophetic, it's, uh, it contains all that we need for life and godliness. It, is a, it, it shows us how to parent well and to, and to build good businesses and to, and to look after our health and to care for one another. It, it does so much to help humanity, but it's so much more than that. In this we get to know God. Through, through God's revelation through humanity, particularly the Jewish nation, we get to know Him. We get to experience Him. We get to, we get to understand His nature and His character and how we can relate to Him. I believe it's important. I believe it's essential. I believe it's beautiful. I believe it's historic. But I also believe it's deeply personal. And if we're not, if we're not careful, we could easily fall into the trap that the religious people and religious leaders in Jesus' day did. 
These are the scribes and the Pharisees, the most religious people in Jesus' day. They memorized the entire Hebrew scriptures. They extracted, yes, 2,700 plus laws, but they extracted all the principles, they, ex they extracted all the good ideas, good advice, they extracted everything they could from their Bible. But they missed something. Jesus in John chapter 5 says to them that you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. And yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. In all their mastery of the Bible, in all their memorization, in all their extraction of the good principles for their business, for their lives, for their, for what, in, in all of that, they failed to get to know God. Especially when God would come and would stand before them. They failed to recognize God, the person of God through Scripture, especially when it comes to Jesus, who's the fullest representation of God. The Bible is full of stories where God's people shifted a life to a life that was above God. A life where they take things into their own hands. A life where they adopt a posture above God and says, you know, I don't need God. I can do this myself. Two very quick examples. The story of Abraham and Isaac, if you've been in church long enough, you know the story. God says to Abraham, hey Abraham, you're going to, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And you know the song, Father Abraham had... That's right, so it came to pass. But, but on the journey to having those many sons, Abraham would, uh, would look, had a good long look at his wife Sarah and, uh, and realise, you know what, God, you've given me this promise, but I'm not too sure it's going to work out with my wife. I'm not going to sure it's going to... She was like 90. And so uh, Abraham said, okay, time for me to take things into my own hands. And so he ended up uh, uh, meeting uh, his wife's uh, friend, Hagar, and uh, PG version, they uh, had Ishmael. That's the way to do it, nice and quick. And so, um, but Abraham decided to, to move from a life in relationship with God, thinking, I'm frustrated, God's given me these promises, but now it's not coming to pass. I'm going to move my life from a life under God to a life where I'm serving Him and working in relationship with Him. And I'm going to take things in my own hands and move things to a life above God. Decided to go with His plans, my plans to bring about God's promises. A life above God. Another example is um, Moses and the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They're on a journey out of Egypt and they're run out of water. And so Moses goes to God and says, God, what should I do? The people are grumbling. we got no water. What should I do? And God says, well, I want you to go and, and tap the rock. And so he, he taps the rock and water flows out. And, and so everyone was happy and hydrated and happy days. And so, um, and so now there was, you find that story in Numbers. And so we find in... You find that story in Exodus. In Numbers, you find... Uh, some years later, a similar situation arises where everyone's grumbling again, and yes, there's no water again. And so God says to Mo Moses, says to God, God, what do I do? And God says something different this time. God doesn't say, go and tap the rock. God tells Moses, I want you to go and speak to the rock. Moses, in relationship with God, he goes, okay, I will do that. But then he gets to the rock, and the people are cranky, and, and they're agitated, and Moses is thinking, oh man. What am I going to do? These people are going to kill me. I'm there. They're thirsty. And, and he forgets what God said to him. 
out of, out of being with God, he forgot what God said when he was with him, which was speak to the rock. But Moses says, you know what? Well, he doesn't say my interpretation is, is that he's thinking, well, last time, do you know what worked? Yeah, sure, God said speak to the rock, but last time I know when I hit the rock with my staff, I knew that it worked. And so Moses here, he chooses to step out of communion with God and listening to God and accepting God's advice for a similar situation. And Moses just does what he did before. He relies on what he did before. He relies on his past experience. And he, and he hits the rock. He actually hits it twice. And there's a whole bunch of things attached to that sermon message we don't need to go into. But what we find here is Moses is showing us how what a life to live a life as Christians above God. When we go, you know what? I don't need to do what God says. I don't need to take his advice. I can just do things my own way. It worked in the past. I've got the principles in place. I, I've read the book, How to Get Water Out of a Rock, and, and then I've done it, and, and it's good. It's good principles. And now, and while he got the outcome, he didn't get a God. He wouldn't, it didn't please God. So, let's, uh, let's, let's take it down to us, and me, and you. A life above God. He's with me so far. It's great. The rest of you are probably having a nap. So, um, big night last night. You know, times in my life where I've sought God intensely through prayer, through fasting, through scripture, through a whole range of ways. And there's been other times in my life where I've relied on my own wisdom, my own skills. Or, or God had done that in the past, that principle worked last time, I'll just do the same thing I did last time because, hey, that worked. You know, I know how to write a sermon. I've been doing it for a long time. I know how to get up and talk to a camera. I've learned how to talk to a camera since COVID. Thank you, COVID. Um, I've, I've learned the skills. Of, I, I can run a prayer meeting. I've learned skills, I've, I've been to conferences, I've, I, and I've, I've learned all the skills to do, to do ministry. I, I know how to speak, I know how to add dramatic pauses. Um, <laughs> I know the principles on, on, on the Bible, and, and I've, I've done my Bible studies, I've, I've done all this stuff in my life. Um, I could do all those things. And, and I'm grateful that God's assisted me and helps me through those things. But I, I can do those things based and, and do it well in the principles of God's Word. Or I can try to do those things. I can do them without God, and you wouldn't know. I could do them with God, and the outcomes would still be the same. The thing is, if I do it without God, I'm missing Him. It's like that, that hitting that rock. I can, I can go through the process. I can, we can lead worship. We can, we can do what we do as a church. We can go through like a, like, a, like a machine, like the universe is a machine. We can do the principles. We can have the right timing. We can do the systems and the structures. And on the whole, it could get the right outcomes. But we're missing the very thing God's calling us to do, which is to be with Him. What about you? Talk about me. What about you? You know how to raise kids. You know how to teach. You know how to study for your exams. Looking at our year 12 kids, year 11 kids. You know these things. You know how to build healthy relationships. You know how to build a good business. 
You know how to be resilient and strong. You, need, you know how to have good boundaries. You, 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 we, can, we can know all these great principles. You can know all these great principles for life. In fact, if you go to Kuron, all the shelves are filled with books, except this book that's out of stock. But it's filled with books that are going to help you live a good life or be a good parent or be a good worship leader or be a, a good parent, a teacher or to be a good nurse or to be a good businessman. The world is full of books and resources and principles that will help us be the person and be effective in our lives. The world is full of those things. And we need to be add to that we've got our YouTube. All the sermons we can listen to. All the podcasts we can absorb, all the stuff on, on right now media, all the Bible study, we've got all of those things that can give us some wonderful ways. And, they're, and they're, don't get me wrong, those things can be so helpful for us. But we must be careful that in the efforts to, to in an attempt to live a life by God's principles, we've got to be careful that we miss God Himself. Uh, Sky Jathani in his book, he would write, This is the shortcoming of the life over God posture. It causes us to reduce faith to principles, divine laws, and applicable instructions. God may be praised, thanked, and worshipped for giving us his wise precepts. But as with an absentee watchmaker, we don't need God to be involved with us personally. I've discovered the times where I, when I look back and have a hard, honest look, the times that I tend to adopt the life over God posture are times when I'm not particularly wanting to get close to God. You might relate to it. It could be you feel God's disappointed in you, or you've said something, or done something, or thought something, or didn't do something, and you thought, you know what, God is not interested in spending time with me. And so, okay, well, if that's the case, I better sort this out myself and we go and lean on the principles that have worked for a long time. You know, my, uh, my brother is a mechanic and uh, I have car problems from time to time and often something will go wrong in my car and uh, I'll have a go at myself. I'll get YouTube out and I'll give it a good go until I discover mm, I'm going to need more help than YouTube could possibly give me. So I, I call my brother and uh, I don't go to him, I, I feel a bit silly because I don't want to tell him, you know, I've tried to do this myself. He's just going, I just, anyway, anyone relate to this? You, you just don't do it because you're feeling a bit silly. Let's try to sort it out by ourselves. And so I call my brother and um, He's always, always gracious toward me. He, do, he doesn't belittle me for having a go. He probably, I can imagine him on the phone la laughing and smiling and telling his wife, hey, Mark's had another go at it and stuffed it up. Um, <laughs> but then he works with me to help fix whatever needs fixing. Now, he lives in Lithgow, so often it'll be go and talk to someone else. But, uh, but still, he can, he can guide me and lead me. He tells me where to go to find my problem to get fixed. And, and, I'm, and, and my brother is, I'm not saying my, in any way my brother is God, so no, I don't get, no way. Um, but I'm, what, I'm, what I'm reminded of, though, is how much more difficult my life is when I live a life over God. 
It makes me think twice about trying to figure it out on my own. It makes me think twice about I can do it without asking for help. It makes me think twice about trying to figure it out and build a business or a family and my own strategies, my own efforts. It makes me think twice because while I can do all that and I may have limited success, ultimately, I'm missing life with God. So, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap up here. What about you this morning? Maybe you're here this morning or watching online and maybe you're one of the 38,000 people that said, I do not believe in God. But maybe today or maybe you know people, maybe, maybe, maybe something's stirring in your heart that, that wants you to explore that further. If that's the case, we'd, we'd love to chat with you. Not argue with you, but chat with you. And perhaps, perhaps, perhaps there's something or someone that's, that's drawing you or calling you toward him. I don't think there's too many of the 38,000 in the church today, here, in our church. Um, but maybe you're one of those good people. Maybe you're one of those people who, who are just so generous and giving and serving and helping so many other people. You're online or you're, you're here today. And I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful to see people caring for people and loving people and thinking about others and serving others. I think that's fantastic. My challenge, if, that, if you fall into that category, can I encourage you that the watchmaker is calling you to know him? More than just living a life on these good principles, which are great, and don't stop doing them, but there's more. There's a designer and a watchmaker who's longing to get to know you better. And if that's you, I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, just help you think through, talk about what, what does that mean for you in your life. But I think the bulk of us who attend churches today, we, 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 we don't tick the no religion box, we tick the Christianity box. So what about you? Maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to fix a problem in your own strength. Maybe you're even trying to use godly principles. I've been, I've been doing everything God says. I've been, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been tithing, I've been doing all of this. And I think that's wonderful that you're doing that in, in an attempt to, to, to do the right thing. Can I encourage you, the watchmaker is willing to work with you and be with you. When was the last time you talked to God about the problem you're facing at school, with your friends, with your, with your, with your husband, with your wife, with your work colleague, with your boss? When was the last time you talked to God and said, you know what, what do you reckon about this? See, that the posture of life over God has limited, can have limited effect. In all the end, the goal is to move from a life above God, and we can all drift into that as Christians, as pastors, as leaders, as, we can all drift into a position where we, we live a life under God. I don't, yeah, I don't need God. I don't need to pray about that. I can just do it because I've done it before. I don't need to be accountable. I don't need that type of stuff. Friends, that's us slowly drifting toward life over God. And ultimately, a life over God is, is, is not complete. It's like the three sisters. It's, it's just missing something. And I'd encourage you to include God in that space. So if you feel disconnected, I'll get our team up. We'll close on a song today, man. We'll close with um, Hymn of Heaven. And as we do, the question I have for each one of us is, do you feel disconnected from God? We've talked about being with God and we've talked about living life under God and striving and trying to appease God to make things go well with me. The question we ask you today is, are you living a life above God? I'm not saying you, you're, you're arrogant or rude toward God or thinking you don't need him or he's no good. Maybe you're just sneaking into a place where, you know what, your life, you're just living your life without him. That's a lovely song. 
a life without God. 